Hi there, I'm Kate Monroe, and I'd like to welcome you to a journey of connection, understanding, and empowerment. Join me on Shoulder to Shoulder, a podcast brought to you by With You, an organization based upon the principles of co-production, understanding, and long-lasting relationships. This podcast is dedicated to the incredible power of peer support. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of incredible humans who face the challenges of life head on, finding strength and solace in the support of their peers. Together, we'll discover the bonds that unite us, the triumphs over adversity, and the unwavering spirit of those who stand shoulder to shoulder helping each other through life's toughest moments. So, grab a seat, lend an ear, and let's embark on this inspiring journey of resilience and hope together. Welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder. Hi, Anita. Thanks so much for agreeing to be part of this. I'm so excited for our conversation. Would you like to start by introducing yourself? Okay, it's lovely to be here. Um, How would I describe myself? Well, I'm a kind of freelance trainer and I train around a lot of things. But in this role with with you, I train around peer support and the power of peer support. But I also do a lot of training about race equality. I'm also a campaigner, a storyteller, a human rights activist. And I've also got my lived experience. So I'm a suicide survivor. And I've had people in my family who have died by suicide, especially my mum, which was a biggie. So I've also had to deal with the kind of pain of being bereaved by suicide as well. I'm also a granny. That's brought great joy in my life recently. Wow, you have got so much experience. Uh, I can't wait to talk about it. So let's start by exploring the term peer support for anyone who may not be familiar with it. How do you define it and what does it mean to you personally? All right. So you start with the easy question first, are you? (laughs) Um, So for those people that don't know what peer support work is, or even those people that work in peer support, they might not know what peer support work is because it's such a broad band of what it could be. It's like on a spectrum. And it's only in the last kind of, 10, 20 years for me, because if I've been working for 40 years, like I said, in the human rights field, that I've probably labelled most of my work peer support, even though I felt I have been doing peer support. And peer support for me is kind of rewriting the narrative around people's minds and mental health services. So as humans, we walk around on this planet with this most complex thing inside our heads which is our mind and we tend to give it the least attention the current thinking around mental health and mental health services is that you give me your mind and I'll fix it for you and people tend to locate the problem in the person what's wrong with you you know and it's kind of very labeling and looking at symptoms and kind of pathologizing people's pain and emotions and trauma. Whereas peer support is kind of flipping it on its head. It's kind of recognizing that you are the solution 
to what's going on inside your head because how does anyone else know what's going on inside your head so it's like reclaiming some kind of control about your own mental health so we often quote you know that peer support is about regaining hope regaining control and regaining opportunities because when people come to me or when I was in that dark place I'd lost all hope I'd lost all control because I was in the hospital and I'd lost all kind of opportunities so in its kind of simplest sense it's having the courage to stand up one day maybe with someone else as well and say I've got this I'm going to reclaim this and start doing things for myself so that's a kind of it in its simplest sense but it's also very complex because there's lots of tools and knowledge and experience that would make you a good peer and underneath all that. I recognise that Judy Rapper quote, um, hope, control and opportunity. So I guess peerness is helping somebody else rediscover that so yeah. that they can basically go and live the life that they want to despite having mental health challenges. Um, so what does it mean for you? So peer support is that powerful. I think it kind of helped me save my own life uh, because when I'd lost all hope, when I'd lost all control, when I'd lost all opportunities and I kind of tried to kill myself and I ended up in hospital, I ended up in the mental health system, which kind of disempowered me even more. And I ended up in a system that was quite brutal and didn't see me and where I didn't feel safe. And it was only when I came out of hospital and I started reconnecting, especially with my community, which is the Asian community, Asian women's community. I went back to the Asian women's project that I had a connection with where I felt safe and secure. And I was kind of peer supported by some of the women there that I started reawakening and realizing that I'm still me. I had a little bit of a stumble and I can reconnect with all my strengths. Because what I found was that the mental health system just tells you what's wrong with you and that they're going to fix you. But they don't tell you what's wrong with you and that you can fix yourself. So they kind of started reinforcing the messages. Like, I think what a turning point for me, this is a long story, but this is after about two years. I went, ended up in the Asian Women's Project after coming out of hospital, having stayed on my mum and dad's sofa for a year. And I was wandering down the corridor to the Asian Women's Support Group and I bumped into the manager there. And she went, Anita, it's great. And she didn't realise I was there as a kind of peer service user. She went, Anita, it's great to see you. I always remember you when you made that empowering speech at that Asian Women's Conference like seven years ago. And I'd just come out of hospital and she just kind of reignited that spark of hope in me. And I just thought, yeah, that was me. And it's still me, and it's just kind of been hidden for a while, and it's going to start emerging. And that kind of just tips something over in my brain, because obviously I knew what I had to do, because I've always been a mental health practitioner. I just lost my way a little bit because of circumstances, which I can go into later. But, you know, that little spark of hope that she created in me soon became a flame, and do you know what? Two years later, I was back there as the operations manager. So I kind of just like managed to get it all back together. And I was quite fortunate because I'd already in that kind of field and I had the information, I had the knowledge. I just lost my way a little bit. But a lot of people start from a lower kind of base where they have no knowledge. They don't even have the words to talk about it. 
and they don't have the right people in their corner. So I was lucky enough to have all the right components in my corner for recovery, which is possible for everyone if they have the right components. Wow. That is some story, Anita. That is incredible. Um, Which leads us really nicely to the next part of your journey. Can you share with us how and why you first became involved in peer support? I've always been interested in change, change for the better. I wanted to change the world, you know, at one point. And I've always been interested in fighting injustice and inequality and trying to make a better world for everybody. It sounds a bit, you know, like woolly. <laughs> it sounds but I have great. Been, like, and it started, from, it started from a very early age, I suppose, because I remember as an Asian woman, you know, living in an Asian household, I can remember my brothers were never told to do the washing up. And right from then I was thinking, that's not right. So that kind of spark of injustice and that fire of kind of activism was always in me. So I've always been really interested in supporting people to find their own voice or even finding my own voice around issues around race and racism, women and sexism. But then the most biggest thing in my life happened to me when I was 17, when my mum died by suicide. And I just never spoke about it because I didn't have the words to talk about mental health. So I knew a lot of things around peer support if you're experiencing racism. I knew a lot of things if you about peer support if you experienced sexism and exclusion. And I did experience a lot of poor mental health myself, living in the household where my mum was very ill. But I didn't have the words to uh, describe it because back in the 60s and 70s, no one talked about mental health. Did you have any outlets to talk about it? No, no. Obviously, like my family, my mum and dad came over here in the 50s. So a lot of people from black and brown countries that thought, Oh, I'm part of the Commonwealth. You know, these people rule my country. I'll go over to their country and I'll be welcomed with open arms, you know, and the streets will be paved with gold. That's what they thought. So when my parents arrived here, they kind of arrived here in the 50s and 60s, which was the era of race riots and colour bars, like up until 1968 when I was at school. My dad was a bus conductor. And there was a social club that the, they all used to go to, but it had a colour bar which says no blacks, no browns. So even though he worked on the buses, he wasn't allowed in the social club. And it's a social club that was near my school. So we used to run past it every day from school in case we got kind of racially attacked by the white people there. So my mother, who lived in India and was like adored, came into England expecting to feel safe and she never did feel safe. And I think she never got the support that she needed either because English wasn't her first language. And as a result of that, she kind of, looking back now, I can analyse it. But at the time, I couldn't. You know, she didn't get the support that she needed. She was in a lot of fear and pain. And that's why she decided to end her life. But obviously, we were just children then. And we kind of blamed her a little bit, I suppose. And we felt angry about it. And so did that and her suicide later on, is that kind of what made you decide to go into peer support insofar as there was no language around mental health and there was no support for your mum? 
And you kind of wanted to change that, change the landscape. She died by suicide in 1977. And then I made a suicide attempt in 2005 or something, where I ended up in hospital. And it was because even though I was still campaigning, I was still an activist, I never really kind of faced up to the mental, my own mental health. Yeah. And I was always a rescuer, you know, and in peer support, we say we're never going to rescue anyone. Was I always waiting to that rescuer mode? Because I always thought I should have rescued my mum, probably. And because I failed to do that, I've tried to rescue everyone else. But in that process, I failed to rescue myself, you know. So all those things adding up, I kind of had a, a moment where I thought, do you know what? I want to change the world around race and gender, but I also need to change myself and be able to speak openly and honestly about stuff. And, you know, mental health is shrouded with blame and judgment and guilt and shame. And I took all those things on. Yeah. And then I was thinking, how can I take all those things on when I'm a human rights activist, you know, so I could talk about every other kind of, feeling of oppression and stigma, but I can't talk about self-stigma around mental health. So I think that was a kind of a, a awakening. Part of my recovery was that I reframed my mum's death instead of a trauma as something that I forgave her for and I forgave myself for, and I kind of healed from it and said that it was nobody's fault. She was a great mother. She was just struggling, and if she'd had the right support, she'd still be here. And I thought if I'd had the right support talking about it, I wouldn't have had to go through her trauma. And now I think if everyone could have the right support with the right person, they probably wouldn't have to go through all that pain. So that's what brought me to kind of peer support in a roundabout way. When was your first experience of actually receiving it? So I was so used to giving it to everybody that I, I actually knew what I had to do for myself. I just didn't do it because I, I probably didn't feel worthy, maybe. How can my mum leave me? I'm not worthy as a child. But now I realise it was nothing to do with me. That was due to her pain. So I think the first time I actively reached out for support was after my suicide attempt. How old were you then? So I was about 42 or something. And I'd been doing all this work, you know, around Stephen Lawrence murder I've been training all the police after McPherson. So I'll still be like this warrior woman. But then I had the kind of perfect storm in my life. You know, I couldn't have a baby. My marriage was falling apart. But I was just like pretending none of this was going on and thinking I still got to go to work. I was still very driven. I was still very passionate. And I stopped looking after myself, you know, doing stupid things and staying awake all night and not caring for myself. And then once that perfect storm kind of came together, it just broke me. So it was quite a sudden thing, you know, and everybody was really surprised. They were going, Anita, it can't be Anita. She's the most strongest, you know, woman I ever known because that's what I presented. I wore this mask for many years and then I let the real me out and everyone went, oh, my God, who's that? And I went, oh, my God, I don't even know. Did you know where to seek peer support at that time? I knew then because I was around the scene of mental health support, you know, because I was a youth worker, I was working with young people at risk. I was a race advisor, so I was supporting people. By that time, I'd left London because I lived in London. I'd come back to my hometown. So as I said, I knew that the Asian Women's Project existed. 
I knew that the local mind existed. But my first port of call was a GP. I thought, I'm not, I don't feel safe anymore. I'm going to go and see the GP. And within 10 minutes of seeing the GP, it'd give me like five different pills. And because I'd lost all control, I thought, oh, yeah, these pills are going to cure me. And then I got worse and worse and worse. And no one asked me anything. And that's when I made the suicide attempt. And then when I came out of hospital, I had a period of like healing. And that's when I kind of joined the Age of Women's Project again. And I got a peer. And that's when we started practicing, just being open and honest about what we really feel. They were kind of reflecting back to me how wonderful I was and how I'm going to get there, be really hopeful and supportive. And I felt safe and secure. And I started picking up all the things I knew already again. In fact, I often say to people that then I know that I'm a bigger, badder version of what I was before. Mm -hmm. And it's so inspiring that after all that, you found that level of support and comfort in a peer support group with people you could totally relate to and feel completely at ease with. But you know what sad thing is, uh, I went back there to be the operational manager and to do peer support for four years. And we created such a beautiful project, really powerful, where we had 36 women all being peers. And then the funding was cut. So that's the kind of another issue for peers is that we know what we need to do, but often we don't have the right funding or support to do it. And then the struggle becomes getting hold of the money rather than doing the work. Which leads me nicely on to the next question, Anita. So you've told us about your experience of receiving peer support. What I'd really like to know about is your experience of actually being a peer supporter. So you were in the Asian Women's Network. Is that when you kind of started off your journey as a peer? So like I said, I would say that I started it years ago, like when I was a youth worker, when I worked in the women's movement and when I worked in the race movement. But we used different words to describe it, you know. So I would say that I was an activist then or I was a campaigner. And it was all about kind of solidarity and empowering individuals and communities around justice and inequality. But intentional peer support, as we know it now in the mental health system, I probably started that when I worked, I started working at Coventry and Watch Your Mind after I came out of hospital as well, before I went to the Asian Women's Project. And I was their equality performance manager. So I was doing a lot of work around how we can peer support black and brown communities in particular. And then I worked at the Asian Women's Project where I supported hundreds and hundreds of women, mostly around recovering from violence against themselves and poverty, I would say, were the two main issues. And then I did a lot of work around supporting people going through racial trauma, including workers. So it was not just people coming to us that I supported. In other jobs, I've supported workers that have experienced racial trauma in the workplace by their colleagues, including peers. But I would say I was kind of natural peer support work if I'm not below my own trumpet because I like to listen I love people and I like change I feel that I'm warm and approachable and I'm pretty authentic even when I was doing great big jobs I would still go all right mate you know if I was talking to the chief constable 
Because peer support is all about connections, isn't it? It's about creating these lovely, wonderful connections with people where they trust you enough to tell you their truth. And you walk alongside them, just kind of reflecting back all their strengths and being that beacon of hope until they can reclaim their own hope. And then they come back to you over and over again. And then each time they come back, they have a, like a reflection about what they need to do for themselves. And then ultimately they feel so empowered, hopefully, and recovered that they fly off and do their own thing. How has peer support empowered you personally, if at all? Yeah, peer support is a reciprocal, can never say that word, reciprocal arrangement, isn't it? Because uh, I would say that I am now an expert in my own recovery, but I'm not an expert in anyone else's recovery. So each time I sit down with someone and have a conversation with them and exchange, I'm learning something from them. And they're learning something from me, hopefully. So it's a bit of ping pong that goes on. And I tend to do most of my peer support now in groups. Imagine if there's two of you in a room, you can learn a couple of things from each other. Imagine if there's 10 of you in the room, you can probably learn 10 more things from each other. So I'm really a believer in kind of group, peer support groups and do you know what peer support groups do? They create safe spaces. They create solidarity. They create spaces where people don't feel alone or think that I'm the only one going through this because I only work in, I tend to work in black and brown spaces only in group work. And then when we share our experiences for mental health relating to racism, people don't go, well, what's that all about? They just nod with understanding and kindness and compassion and empathy. And we feel uplifted and energised. And then I feel that the group then takes a life of its own, you know. So a lot of the work that I've done in groups, people come to us very disempowered and then they go away so empowered they go off and do great things in their own communities and go and empower someone else. I think it was Tony Morrison, but don't quote me, who said that, you know, if you can use power to lift yourself up, then lift someone else up as well at the same time. How empowering is that? If you feel a bit empowered by something, then you go out and spread the message in your community to those people that feel disempowered. So that's been so joyous. Before, I used to be seeing myself as like a little leaf that was floating aimlessly down a river and I had no control over it. And now I see myself as a little boat in a really stormy sea and I'm perfectly calm and at peace. I'm not going to let this storm tip me over. So that's how I sit now because of all the support I've had from my allies and my other peers and other people that have come alongside me in this journey. I was going to say, do you attribute that to all the peer support you've had over the years? Yeah. And, you know, when I talk about peer support, I don't mean in the formal setting. From my friends, from my family, I would say my biggest peer support was my sister who, when I was really ill, gave up work for three months and just lay on my bedroom floor and gave me that unconditional love and fed my child and brushed my hair and just loved me and said, you'll be all right, sis. Absolutely, because peer support isn't necessarily intentional, is it? It can be unintentional, as you've kind of alluded to there. Uh, I would say that was intentional. It just wasn't supported by a service. 
do you know, I, I do my best peer support probably now for free in the community, just as a human with my neighbours and my friends and my community and where I can kind of set my own boundaries a little bit. Being a great peer looks really easy, right? But you have to be really kind of experienced, knowledgeable, there's lots of skills, tips, techniques, tools that you can learn. And we can really model how to be a good peer. Once I've reclaimed my strength, I really modelled how to be a great peer to my daughter. And she's like, I looked after, she was a looked after child, right? So she hangs around with lots of children that feel excluded and vulnerable. And she's a great peer to them. And she kind of gives out that compassion, that empathy, that kindness, that strength-based feedback to her mates in her own kind of language. Yeah, but she's a great peer. I wanted to ask you for my next question. How have you developed your role as a peer supporter? Because as you alluded to previously, you've developed peer support networks, you have a big role in the community. And of course, working for with you, you have the Black and Asian Network, Anita. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. Well, one thing I would say that being a great peer doesn't really pay. I mean, I think that's one of the challenges is that People tell us that what they want to see is a peer, right? I've experienced the power of being a peer, how transformative it is. But still, it's not seen as a discipline in its own right, you know. So a lot of peers struggle to stay in that peer role because there's no career development. They're not paid enough and they kind of go sideways and think, well, if I can't progress as a peer, I might go and be a counsellor or a psychiatrist or something. So one of my other kind of hats is being really ambitious about how brilliant peerness is and creating a, our own pathway, yeah, and getting it equally recognised alongside all the other disciplines. But like you said, I've always a firm believer in networks, you know, like, so I've created networks all over the place. I think the first network meeting I called was in 1985, and it was an Asian women's conference. And that's when I became a trainer because every time I used to go to a women's movement meeting or any meeting, because I used to work for the London Education Authority then, everybody was white. You know, all the trainers were white. All, mostly all the women were white because I used to work, I was working around women's equality then. And I thought, there's no one ever looking like me and talking about the different issues that I need to talk about around race and racism. So I thought, if no one else is doing it, I'll do it. Yeah, so that's when I became a qualified trainer with in the London Education Authority back in 1985. And I put on the first ever Asian Women's Conference. And that's when I realised the power of collective action and the solidarity and how empowering it is. So ever since then, I've really kind of been an advocate for networks. So I always came from that background. So when I came to With You, obviously I know Marissa and Karen, the two directors from With You, from a long time ago because I've worked with them on developing peer support training probably for the last 10, 12 years. So when I came there, they already knew what my passions were, you know, around race and racism and empowering black leadership. I thought there's a real need black and brown peers to be able to come together in a safe space because when we talk about safe spaces to do peer work a lot of the time those spaces ain't safe for black and brown people that's why I really wanted to carve out a black and brown space for ourselves where we could have a sense of belonging but also encourage more 
black and brown communities to use peer support uh, to highlight great practice because we are great peer support workers and we're really effective and we want to shout about it so other people can do it as well. So I was really fortunate to kind of have the door opened for me and then I was really fortunate to meet Sharif who's my (laughs) co-conspirator. Well me and Sharif we got on really well from the day that we met and Sharif as a black man he kind of really models how to have a conversation around mental health in a really empowering way which I found really refreshing. So we immediately hit off and we thought yeah what we need is a black and Asian network. So we started one. It's been absolutely brilliant, the network. Uh, We've got like 100 people registered. We meet every second Thursday in the month for two hours. And I can't explain how wonderful those network meetings are. It sounds incredible, Anita. And what are your goals for the network? Where do you see it going from here? Well, do you know, we've got lots of big ideas. But again, you know, we've got constraints as well because you know big ideas sometimes need big commitment and funding and resourcing and at the moment the network is quite pure you know we just come together and it's all about conversation and we have thought about doing lots of big and wonderful things because we're all capable of it but I suppose the next step is that if we want to do all these big kind of adventurous things we're going to have to get a bit more organized and We need more time and we need more resources. So, yeah. So I've got two questions left today, Anita. The first one is, what would you class as your biggest achievement? So I would say my biggest achievement has been to raise my daughter as a single parent and kind of model now how to be a wonderful, passionate human being that's kind of interested in saving the world but also be kind and forgiving and at peace with yourself at the same time. Wow. That is some achievement. That is some achievement, Anita. And my final question to you today is who has been your greatest inspiration? Oh no, you're going to make me cry now. I suppose it has to be my mum. Yeah, even though she's not here, I feel somehow this connection with her and that my path I wouldn't have gone down this path I suppose if I hadn't experienced what she'd experienced and so I do a lot of this work to honour her memory and kind of be that beacon of hope for others that there's always a different way if you have the right people in your corner and the right support. What a wonderful message to end on thank you so much for today Anita I really mean it. You've been an absolute pleasure to have a conversation with and I wish you all the very best in everything that you do. Thank you. Ah, thanks, Kate. I've loved it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Shoulder to Shoulder by With You. For more information about our organisation and access to additional resources, please visit our website at www.with-u.co.uk. Remember, you're never alone when you've got a shoulder to lean on. Stay connected.